Thanks, bro. What's up, fam? How you doing? Good, I'm just getting my iPad loaded up here. I don't know what's taking so long. There we go. See, I always say, Pastor Stan, you should use an iPad. And then every time I get up here, my iPad, like, doesn't want to turn on or I don't know. Thank you, Apple. Thank you, Siri, for being so great. So there you go. No, but hey, it's, a, it's such an honor to be able to get up here and to be able to, to share from my heart today. Um, Pastor Shane, I don't take it lightly. Thank you so much for your friendship and for opening your pulpit to me. Uh, it means the world. I feel like I'm like the least deserving of people to be able to get up and talk about Jesus and what I get as I hear the word of God and as I read and study myself. So uh, it's very humbling and very exciting at the same time. So uh, today I want to be personal. Uh, I want to kind of open up into kind of my history and a little bit about me um, that I wouldn't just share in just normal conversation, getting to know somebody. Um, but I want to be personal. And as I'm personal, I'm going to ask you to do the same thing this day, today. Uh, so if you're joining us online, I'm going to ask you, be personal today. I, I think it's really easy to be honest with um, other people in their situations, maybe not directly to them, but be like, you know, well, I see them and if they would just get this right in their life and they would be fine. You know, I think it's really easy to be honest about other people. And it's really difficult as human beings to be honest with ourselves. And today I, I want to challenge every single one of us to be personal today and to look at your own heart and have an honest evaluation of where you stand, maybe not in your relationship with God, but in your relationship with God. On where, where am I today and, and how close am I with him? And, and I'm going to, right out of the shoot. I know I just started, but I'm going to be transparent and honest with myself. I'm going to ask the same of all of you. So uh, you're going to see here, I'm going I'm to open up telling a little bit of my story. And as I do, I kind of hope it reminds you a little bit of your own personal story. And then I'm going to tie it together. I promise I'm going somewhere with all of this. But I just want to preface this sermon today with that. Just take this as a personal time uh, as you hear the word and challenge yourself personally and allow the spirit of God to bring conviction where he needs to bring conviction is all I'm saying, okay? And so um, I'm gonna dive right in. Here it is, Philippians chapter three, verse 10. I'm gonna start by reading this one out of the Amplified because it dives into it really good. It says this, for my determined purpose is that I may know him, that I may become more deeply and intimately acquainted with him, perceiving and recognizing, understanding the wonders of him more strongly and clearly. And that I may in the same way come to know the power outflowing from his resurrection and that I might share in his sufferings as to be continually transformed in his likeness, even to his death. Again, being transparent, if I could live this verse, who knows what my life would look like? Like if I could honestly look at my heart and my situations and my life and say, man, is my determined purpose really to know him? I wonder what my life would look like. And Again, as I'm transparent and as I'm being personal, I'm asking you to do the same. What would your life look like if you grabbed a hold of Philippians chapter 3, verse 10, and you say, woke up every day saying, my determined purpose is to know him. What about your life would instantly change, right? What about your life? What about my life would change dramatically and without hesitation in an instant? So as we get going, I got a question for you. We'll get back to this right here. But do you have a favorite childhood memory? Or just maybe some memories that you just like love. Like they're just good, like old fashioned memories. Like yes, of simpler times of maybe some things that you overcame, some trials or difficulties and you learned how to overcome. And so it's good to remind yourself, oh man, I remember when I did that. Or, you know, good memories of, I don't know, 
doing backflips off of cliffs into the water at, in your younger years. I don't know what it was for you. I, I know what it was for me. I, I have my memories. And I want to show you one of my memories. Can I, can I show you one of my memories? Here it is right here. Check this out. This is my uh, house that I lived in. Um, to you, it's just a house. Like, I put that on the screen, and there is no emotional connection for you. But I see that house, and instantly I got goosebumps. Because that house means something to me. That, that house changed my life. And I only lived there for like two or three years. I didn't live there a long time. But that house drastically changed my life. You see, I look at that house and I, I'm, I know things about that house that you don't. I know the layout. I know where the closets are. I know where the bedrooms are. I know where the storage is. Uh, I know that that garage isn't a real garage. My sister's room was there and there's a wall behind that garage. You don't know that. I do. Well, now you do. But... There's things about that house that, that I know a whole lot about. I could walk into that house right now and I can show you where my bedroom was. I, I know that house. And I guess I was four or five years old when I lived here, but I know that house really well. That, that house is ingrained in, in my memory. You see, what you can't see in the picture is that there's also a concrete slab in the, in the backyard. We, we tried to lay a concrete deck. I don't know what was going on. I was four, right? But all I know is that my handprints are in that concrete slab. And I looked on Google Earth this past week, the concrete slab is still there, which means the people who live there now have to deal with my little four-year-old handprints in their, in their little patio, okay? So you're welcome, whoever you live, lives there on 5604 Layton Drive, right? I, I, I think that's the address. That'd be amazing. For a five-year-old to remember his, his address at 32, that's amazing, okay? I'm just saying. But anyways, I remember that concrete slab. And, and see, there's, there's a big walnut tree uh, on, the, on the left side there, and you might think it's just a tree, but I know it's a walnut tree because I live there. That's, that's my memory. That's, that's my house, right? Well, it's not really my house now, but it was. And I, I know the walnuts that come off that tree are like half rotten all the time. It's just good luck getting a walnut, and good for me. I don't like walnuts, so I didn't care. My brother had a weird thing. I don't know if he's watching right now, but he had a weird thing with that tree. He loved to eat those walnuts. I was like, bro, you got issues, Right? But anyways, so I, I remember one day, it's one of the, the best memories that I have, one of my favorite memories of my grandpa. He passed away when I was about 14 or 15 years old. But one day he, he showed up and he took us to the store and he bought a tire and some rope. And on that very walnut tree right there that you can't see, it, we, we built a tire swing. And it's all right, exactly. It's, it's one of the best memories I have of my grandpa. And if he were here today, he would probably say, I hated that, that, that tree and I hated that swing. Because anytime we were with him, it was like, hey, can we go on the swing? Will you push us on the swing? Right? He probably dreaded that thing. He's probably real excited. Like I think, oh, it's going to be really cute, right? The kids are going to be on the tire swing. That's all we wanted to do. It's always constantly on the tire swing. So he probably regretted building it. But hey, it's a great memory for me now. And that's how I remember who my grandpa was. He loved us and we loved him. And, and actually, as, as I look at the house now, it's something you can see is the front door. And I remember uh, one day, my brother and I, we, his name's Shane, and we were just Rickums. Like we just... We didn't want to listen to mom or dad for nothing, right? Like, you couldn't have paid us because we didn't know what money did, right? We, had no, we didn't want to listen. I remember one night in particular, I think every mom and dad in the room can relate to this, uh, we just wouldn't go to bed, right? We're just getting up, we're talking, we're grabbing toys, probably doing a pillow fight. I don't know what we were doing. We we're probably trying to make, I remember one time, we made a slide out of a blanket off the top bunk. We just fell right to the ground, like, and when you're four or five years old, you're indestructible. So it didn't even hurt, right? It was amazing. But I remember like, we, we just would not go to bed this one night. And my mom, she had had enough. Any mom's ever had enough before, right? Come on. She's like, hell, he's preaching now, right? I know, right? Mom's just had enough. And she was like, I'm done. And I swear, she, she'll probably deny this. I think she grabbed us by our ears and literally dragged us to that front door. 
she put us out on the front porch and she slammed the door on us. And then, hold on, it was dark outside. She shut the light off. I was there. That's probably why I'm still like terrified of the dark right now, right? Like, there ain't nothing scarier than being in a dark room and you can't see your hand in front of you. Like, I'm sorry, there's nothing worse than that. I, it started there, okay? That, that front door is where it started for me. That, that type of fear of the dark, right? She says, her claim, I don't know if she's watching online right now, but her claim is we were out there for three seconds. No, no woman, okay? I know how long time goes, okay? We were out there for at least an hour, okay? Screaming. It, it probably was three seconds because we were screaming and she probably didn't want to get CPS called on us, right? Like, okay, let the kids back in now. I love you, right? Like, it was probably a crazy moment. But I remember that moment. Like, it happened right there on that front patio. And as I started thinking about that front patio, I... I'm reminded of something else that happened on that driveway. You see, I was four, but I remember. In that very driveway, I watched my dad load up all of his stuff into his car and drive away as my parents got divorced right in front of me. And I love my parents and thank God the relationship now is, is mended and it's healed. And just this Christmas, I was with my mom and her husband and my dad was there as well. And it was a very healthy thing and a healthy moment. This isn't to knock anybody who's been through a divorce. This is the furthest thing from that. But see that house, I got tons of memory and I show you that house and there's no emotional thing at all, but I look at it and I want to laugh and cry at the same time because it's memories. I'm sure you have memories of laughter. I'm sure you have memories of pain as well. You see, because what I didn't know that day, watching my parents get divorced on that very driveway, I didn't know the issues that I would deal with later because of the bitterness and the anger that I would hold on to. I didn't, I didn't realize that in high school and junior high, my nickname would be the Hulk because at any moment I would flash on people and, and go off and scream and yell and be angry for really no reason at all. I, I didn't know that then, but as I look back now and as I allowed God to bring healing into my life, I see I held on to some bitterness. Pastor Stan talked beautifully on that on Wednesday night. I held on to that and, and it shaped me. I just remember that driveway, that home, it, it changed my life. You see, I, I have memories there. And what I'm asking today is, as I'm being personal, I'm asking you to be personal as well. What memories do you have now? And as we read this scripture, as we dive into it, I, I want you to, to really think about it. Because what I learned looking back now, I didn't learn this at four, but looking back now, what I learned is how broken and incomplete I am and how perfect and complete God is. And that's who I needed to come into my life to bring the healing that I was searching for. And I think that's, not. I think, I know this is something we all have in common. We are all broken and we are all imperfect and we all need a God to come into our situation, not a God, the one true God, to come into our life and to bring that healing that we so desperately need. And looking back now, I, I see that as I think and I remember my memories. And as I, as I said, I, I'm gonna say it again, I want you to think of your personal memories of when God showed up. Uh, of moments in life where you look back now and say, man, if not for that moment, I wouldn't be here today. Because I can say, if not for that moment on that driveway, I wouldn't be here in Idaho today. I, I wouldn't have pursued God like I did as a broken, hurting teenager like I did if I never would have had the brokenness and the pain that needed the healing. I, I, can, I can honestly say I wouldn't be here today. I, I, wouldn't, I, would be, I wouldn't say I'm being dead, but I wouldn't be at least here on this platform preaching to you on Super Bowl Sunday. 
I can, I can honestly say that. See, I want you to take this personal today. So I want to read Philippians chapter 3, the first 10 verses. It's going to take a minute to read through it, but bear with me. I'm reading out the NASB translation now, and I want you to, to capture and grasp everything that Paul is saying, and we'll dive into it, okay? He says this, though. It's a few slides. Finally, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things is no trouble to me, and it's a safeguard to you. Beware of the dogs. Beware of the evil workers. Uh, and beware of the false circumcision. For we are the true circumcision who worship in the spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Although I myself might have confidence in the flesh, if anyone else has a mind to put confidence in the flesh, I far more. I was circumcised the eighth day. I'm of the nation of Israel. I'm of the tribe of Benjamin. I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews. As to the law, I'm a Pharisee. And as to zeal, I'm a persecutor of the church. And as to righteousness that's found in the law, I'm found blameless. But whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as lost for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I've suffered the loss of all things, not some things, all things, and count them as rubbish so that I may gain Christ and I may be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith, that I may know him, and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death. You see, Paul says so much in these 10 verses that for the church in Philippi, who this was written to, they understood automatically what Paul was saying. But we, who don't know the culture and the context of what Paul is talking about, we have to kind of research it ourselves and find out what is Paul talking about here? Because for them, they knew right away. But Paul says so much with so few words that we would typically just skim through this portion of scripture and just get right to the big part, Philippians 3.10. Yeah, my determined purpose is to know him. And that's what we're diving into today. But we kind of skip verses one through nine. Not intentionally. It's just because maybe we lack the understanding of what Paul's talking about. And so what is Paul talking about in those verses? He's simply talking about Old Testament requirements. Nothing more, nothing less. He's explaining what the Old Testament required to be in the family of God. If you wanted to be a, a Jewish man who was serving the Lord or a Jewish woman serving the Lord, then you had some requirements that you had to follow. Amen. You had some things that you had to do if you want to be in the family of God. You see, one of the things he talks about in particular here is, uh, well, I'll, I'll get to that in a second. What he says first is, beware of the evil workers and beware of the false teachings of, of circumcision. What he's talking about, he's not talking about Democrats, okay? Just to make sure that's clear, okay? He's, he's not talking about them, okay? They're great people, okay? We love them. Um, he's not talking about them. What he's talking about is people who rose up and were teaching false things. What were they teaching that was false? They were teaching Old Testament requirements for a New Testament lifestyle. That's what, that's what Paul's saying. Hey, stay away from people who declare you have to follow what the Old Testament says in order to be in the family of God now. That's what he's talking about. And the thing that he brings up, which is a word that I hate I have to even say from the stage because it's so awkward, is circumcision, right? If you don't know what circumcision is, ask your mom. And he brings this up because people are saying, hey, if you want to be in the family of God, as a guy, I need you to cut something, right? Every guy goes, ow, right? It's like, um, yeah. And so he brings this up because of its importance in the Old Testament, 
right? If you were a male and you were born as a Hebrew male or your family was a, a family who grafted into uh, Jewish religion on the eighth day of that boy's life, um, okay? And so, <clears throat> it's so awkward. I don't even want to say the word. Can, I, can you guys do me a favor? On the count of three, I, can everyone just say the word? One, two, three. Half of you are cool. The other half that didn't say it, I'm just kidding, I'm just kidding, right? They, I'm not the only weird person in the room who said that in church now. Thank you, I appreciate it. So anyways, th- th- this thing was happening and, and they had to follow these regulations. And, and so Paul's like, no, we don't have to do that now. Okay, thank God. That's, that's not a requirement now for a guy to be a follower of God and to be in his family. He doesn't have to do that anymore, right? There's a whole big argument about it in the book of Acts. If you want to check it out and you want to nerd out on it, go ahead, right? It's amazing. But what he's saying is you don't have to do that anymore. And people are trying to come at him and say, no, you do have to do that, right? And so Paul goes on. He says, hey, look, we put no confidence in the flesh. And when I was in Bible school, I thought that putting no confidence in the flesh meant that it's not by my might or by my power, but by his spirit, says the Lord. Like I kind of made the connection between the two verses there and totally took it out of context. Well, that might be a portion of it. What he's saying in we put no confidence in the flesh is there is nothing that I can do to earn my salvation or my way to heaven. There's nothing I can do. See, let me, let me talk to us now in our context here in America, the greatest country in the world, God bless it, right? Is we love it, but it does have some things that don't match with theology and, and, the, right, and the right understanding of who God is. One of these things, as great as it is and as much as we need it to continue in our world is capitalism. We think the harder I work, the more I earn. The, the more I do, the better my paycheck, right? That's how we think. And we try to bring that thinking into a lifestyle of a kingdom. It doesn't work. Nope. It does not work. We cannot earn a better seat at the table in heaven, okay? There's nothing you can do to make sure that, like, God sees you. Let me, let me point this as an example. It's something I'm really trying to grain into my kids um, because I grew up thinking I had to earn something, like, yes, I believe in Jesus, but now I have to earn this and I have to deserve it, right? And so yesterday we had a JBQ right here on this campus. And if you don't know what that is, it's Junior Bible Quiz and it's where all the little kids memorize the Bible. It's insane. They probably have more scripture memorized than me. Like it's super impressive. But I remember yesterday my daughter is involved and um, she did some questions and she got some right and she got some wrong. And I remember she had like a look of defeat on her face uh, during what was called the buy. Like we had a time where it was like, hey, we're not gonna, we're compete right now. We're gonna take a break, get some water. It was wonderful. And so she's sitting there. She, I could just tell she's kind of just like down about it. And I looked at her, I said, Tatum, God is not impressed or will give you a better seat in heaven if you have more scripture memorized than the kid next to you. It's not gonna happen. He's not gonna be like, wow, super impressive. You're four and you memorized John three sixteen. No, that doesn't impress God much. I'm just being honest and being real with you because I know this is ingrained into our thinking as Americans. God is not impressed with how much we can memorize. What is more impressive is if we mesmerize on who he is. That's what he's looking for. Not memory, but a moment. Not, not just knowing what John 3.16 says and, and what it means in content. No, 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 no. That doesn't impress him much. What impresses him is someone who takes advantage of an invitation that he sent out. That impresses him. He says, oh, yes, someone wants to be my friend. And when he extends that invitation and we accept, that's what God is after. Not if we have enough scripture memorized. It's not going to get you a better seat at the table in heaven because you know more scripture than me. 
And I'm not gonna get a better seat in heaven because I'm on a platform preaching today. Actually, the Bible says I'm gonna be judged more strictly. So there's nothing you can do to impress God. And that's what he's really saying here is we put no confidence in the flesh. There's nothing you can do to earn your salvation. You can't pray more. You can't uh, worship more. You can't serve enough. You can't preach enough. There's nothing you can do that makes God go, wow, yes, you've earned your spot here in heaven. No. His son and his sacrifice is the only thing that opens the door for us to get into heaven. And out of that, God just says, the works that you do, the things that you do, they'll be tested by my fire. Either it'll last forever or it'll be burned up. But either way, you're still here. And that's what matters. Are we there? Are we with him? Are we walking with him? Do we put confidence in the flesh trying to earn it? Or do we receive it through the believing in Jesus Christ? Because there's a theme as continuing along what we're talking about here in the Old Testament. And the theme is this right here. You are not enough, but someone is coming who is. And this is the theme you will see throughout the entire Old Testament. Every time that a Jewish man or woman had to bring a sacrifice to the table for a sin that they committed, they were reminded you're not enough, but someone is coming. And you'll no longer have to do this sacrifice every time. You really want to dive into it? Look through the book of Leviticus. I'm reading through it right now as I read through the Bible. And man, it is entertaining, right? Like, it, but seeing the things that they had to do, depending on what they did, is intense. I, that's not a lifestyle that I would want. I'm being honest with you this morning. I don't want to have to remember what type of sacrifice to bring, depending on how big of a lie I told. That's what they had to do. And Paul is completely coming against that now and saying, no, you don't have to do any of that. You just have to, if you sin and mess up, you just turn and repent and say, God, my bad. And God says, all good. <laughs> That's how easy it is for us now. The complication before was you're not enough, but someone is coming who is. But guess what? The same theme continues to the New Testament. You're still not enough, but someone came who is. You see, it's different. We're now speaking in past tense of it's already been handled. Debt has been paid. There's not a creditor or a debtor trying to call you and say, hey, you owe for the sin that you made the mistake of. No, it's been handled. Been there, done that, got the t-shirt, check it off my list, right? I'm done with that. Because why? My debt has been paid. I'm not enough. I can't earn it. I have no confidence in my flesh. But someone came. His name was Jesus Christ. He was the son of the living God. He died and he rose again from the grave for my sin and my mistakes so that I could walk freely without having to give sacrifices every single day trying to bring the best to God. No, I just have to now live in the freedom that he gave me. And I continue to follow. That's exactly what 139 is talking about. Thank you. But Paul goes on to say, and he gets sarcastic. You don't, don't tell me that the, the guys in the Bible weren't funny because he gets sarcastic here. And he goes on and he says, this is what he says. He says, if anyone has mind to put confidence in the flesh, I far more. He says, I was circumcised. There's that word again. I was circumcised on the eighth day of my life. Again, we kind of already went through that. If you were a male and you were a Hebrew, you had to, to follow God, okay? That was, that was what you had to do. But then he, he takes a step further because not only did he get circumcised, he says, I'm of the nation of Israel, which means he was not just a, some Roman descent all right, he no, his blood was Hebrew blood. And so he's saying, no, like I'm not here because my parents decided on eight days old to have me circumcised. No, I'm here because my blood is Hebrew. In these veins runs the covenant of what God promised to Abraham. Is what he's saying right there. He's bragging, but he's being sarcastic, right? He says this, I'm of the tribe of Benjamin. Hold up, pump the brakes. He says so much 
In that little phrase, I'm of the tribe of Benjamin, that is mind-numbing. Let me explain it to you. For a Hebrew or a Jewish man to know his heritage was a really big deal. To know who he descended from, where he came from, massive, massive deal. So the moment Paul says, I'm of the tribe of Benjamin, it means that his family tree, he knows it, and he can trace it all the way back to his great, 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 granddaddy Benjamin. That's huge. Why is that huge? Because if he knows he's a direct descendant of Benjamin and he knows all the daddies in between, that means he's a direct descendant of Israel, which means he's a direct descendant of Abraham, which means he's a direct descendant of Noah, which means he's a direct descendant of Adam and Eve. He can trace it all the way. I mean, we all were because we're all humans, right? But he can trace it all the way back. He knows every single daddy that's ever been in his family. Why? Because he knows where he's from. I'm of the tribe of Benjamin. He can trace his entire heritage all the way back to when God said, let there be light. That's amazing. That's mind-numbing to be able to do. I have a little family tree that I'm trying to like construct on my own, right? I started like seven years ago and I gave up. Why? Because I got to like me, my dad, my grandpa. Yep, I don't know who was there. I don't know. I have not a clue in the world who was before my grandpa, Edward. I have not a clue in the world, but it's okay, right? Paul doesn't have that issue. Paul can trace his bloodline all the way back to Adam and Eve. That's amazing. So he's bragging. He's saying, if anybody has confidence in the flesh to say I've earned something, yeah, that would be me, man. Who else can trace their line back to Adam and Eve? No, I can. That's what he's saying. He says, I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews. And he says this, as to the law, real quick, pump the brakes, law. Anytime you see in the New Testament, the word law with it capitalized, it means Old Testament. They didn't have the phrasing that we do now of New and Old Testament. So anytime you see law like that in the New Testament, he's just saying Old Testament. So as to the law, I'm a Pharisee. The Pharisees had the strictest of things that they had to do in order to become a teacher or a Pharisee in, in the Jewish synagogue. First off, I know one of them, you had to memorize the Torah. What's the Torah? The first five books of the Bible. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Memorized. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was formless and void, and I'm stuck right there, okay? <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> there you go, okay? But Paul had it memorized. He, he, he knew it. Why? Because he had the strict rules of being a Pharisee. And then bringing that forward as a Pharisee, he says, as to zeal or my passion for what I do, let's, let's get into bragging is what he says. Let's get into bragging about who loves their religion or their God more. He says, yeah, as to zeal, yeah, I was a persecutor of the church, meaning what? I murdered Christians. And as you read the book of Acts, you really get a feel that Paul didn't just kill them. It's almost like he enjoyed killing Christians. The way he, you read it, it's like, man, he went to their houses, knocked on the door, and as they opened the door, he pulled them out and killed them. That, that's what Paul, Paul was a murderer of people who believe like we do. So Paul, what's Paul saying? Paul's saying, look, you can't find anybody else who loves what they do more than me. I loved what I did. I was relentless in my pursuit of people who believed the way, Jesus. Anybody who believed in him, I would find him and I'd kill him. I wanted to murder him. That's what he's saying. That's what, that's what he's doing right here. He's just saying, does anybody have confidence in the flesh? I'm telling you, I far more. Nobody can compare to my level of when it comes to dealing with uh, Christians. Nobody can deal with my level when it came to my passion and my love for my, my religion. No one can deal with how much I wanted it and my, my rules as a Pharisee, how strict I was. 
He says this, and as to righteousness found in the law, righteousness just means right standing with God. Don't let the big words scare you. Uh, it just means that between me and God, there's no beef. That, that he looks at me, I look at him, and he's like, hey, we're good. Like handshake, you know, COVID times, it's all good, right? He's like, God's good with us, okay? That's all righteousness means. So he says, as to righteousness that's found in the law of the Old Testament, I'm blameless. That's what he says. Paul is declaring in the New Testament, he's declaring that according to Jewish customs and Jewish law, you can't find anything on him where he broke the law. He's bragging sarcastically about saying, hey, if it really was about earning it, I've earned it. If it really was about trying to get a better seat at the table, trust me, I'd have the best seat at the table. But then he goes on and he says, all of this means nothing compared to what? Knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. See, knowing him has no comparison. So what Paul's really getting at here in all these lists of accomplishments is saying, hey, look, my greatest and your greatest accomplishments fall flat in the throne room of God because no one has ever made an entire universe, right? Stan, Stan Lee and the Marvel Cinematic Universe does not count, okay? But no one has even come close to comparing with the level of who God is. And so our greatest accomplishments fall flat. That's why you can't earn your salvation. That's why you can't impress them. The moment you make Mars float in the, in the, in the universe, you let him know. But until that moment, okay, you're not going to impress him much with what you can do. I'm just being honest this morning because there's nothing that I can do to impress him. There's nothing I can do to earn something or better from him. There's nothing I can do. It's all done. It's all, it's all washed out. And it means nothing before him. Our greatest accomplishments mean nothing. And let's look at the words of Jesus just to make sure I'm on the right page here. Jesus said this in John chapter 17, verse three. This is eternal life that they would know you, the one true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. He did not say, this is eternal life, that they'd have a well thought through religion. Why? Because religion doesn't solve the issue. It doesn't solve any issue, really. It just kind of is a band-aid to a, to a situation of a deeper wound. That, that's all religion is. God didn't have his son die on a cross so that we could have a well thought through religion. His son died on a cross so we could step into a new place of a relationship Amen. and have oneness with him, have unity with him. Not a list of rules and regulations and if you do this, you gotta do this. No, that's Old Testament. Jesus came so that we could have life and freedom in a relationship with him. That we would form a friendship and a healthy friendship with him, a growing friendship with him. So how do we unlock this, this friendship with him? Before I get there, I wanna tell you something. These people who are written down in this Bible, I think of Jacob, I think of Moses, I think of Abraham. There's nothing special about these people. Not a thing in this world is special about them other than this right here. They took an invitation to be a friend. It's the only thing that made them difference. They still followed all the rules and all the regulations. They still did everything that Paul did. They still did everything else that every other Pharisee did. They did everything else that every family did. The only thing that separated them was they accepted an invitation and they responded with a yes. It's the only thing that sets these people apart. Otherwise, the story would be completely different if Abraham would have never said yes to be his friend. We, there, it would be some other character. I don't know who, but God would have found someone who would accept the invitation to be his friend. You see, even in the Old Testament, you see how religion got pushed out of the way for a friendship. Religion got pushed out for relationship. 
even in the Old Testament. And so now in the New Testament, God is inviting us into this relationship. So how do we get to this relationship? Favorite part, this, I can't, I can't wait for this. Here we go. Do you have secrets? Anybody have secrets? Raise your hand. Let me, let me see your secret. Anybody got a secret? Right? Okay, the people who didn't raise their hands, find them after service and tell them a secret because they won't even tell people that they have a secret, okay? Those are the people you can trust. Thank you so much for those of you who didn't raise your hand, right? No, we all have secrets. Not every secret is bad, okay? It's like, hey, I killed somebody. Whoa, okay, heavy duty. That's, that's a crazy secret. But uh, other things just are secret, right? Uh, example, would you just walk down the street and give away your secret bank account information to someone just walking by you and say, hey, here's my uh, account number and routing number. I need you to go to Chase Bank and withdraw $3,500 million, right? Hey, you got that kind of money. <laughs> Take me to lunch. So <clears throat> would you just give that information to anybody? No. Why? Because there's no trust there. There's no relationship. There's no idea of what they'll do with that sensitive information, right? So who do you share secrets with? You share secrets with close friends, people that you know you can trust, people that you know aren't going to hurt you or stab you in the back or, or take that sensitive information and post it on Facebook later on this afternoon, right? You, 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 you give secrets to people that you trust. Why do we think God would be any different? Why do we think that God is, oh, I'm a follower of Jesus now, so God's just gonna reveal everything about me to him? No, that's not how it works, and I'll prove it. Psalms chapter 25, verse 14 says this, the secret or the secrets of the Lord are for those or reserved for those who fear him. And it says this, he will make them know his covenant. I love this because it doesn't say he might make them know or give them the opportunity to know his covenant. He says, he will make them know. It's almost like it's a forceful, the one time you'll see God being forceful about him to someone else is right here when we fear him. So what does it mean to fear God? My, my goal today is not to teach you something new, but hopefully to inspire you to, to think about something as we be personal in our own lives. What does it mean to fear God? To fear God does not mean that I'm running in terror or fright from him. That that's not at all what fear God means. Fearing God just simply means to have a reverence and a respect for who he is. In high school, I had this t-shirt and I love this t-shirt and I look back now and I'm like, man, I was so dumb and I was so blind. The shirt said, Jesus is my homeboy. And I thought wearing that shirt, like around school, I thought for sure, hey, look at me being a Christian, shining my light. What's up? Jesus is my homeboy, right? As I've matured and I've gotten older, that, that statement, Jesus is my homeboy, couldn't be any further from the truth. He's not my homeboy, he's my king. He's not just the homie that I call up. He's judge of the universe. And when you sit with a title like that, I would say it probably demands respect. You see, we don't live in medieval times anymore, but if you came before a king and showed dishonor, he would just cut your head off. God does not into the cutting off of head business. He uses lightning instead, right? I'm just kidding. kidding. He doesn't do that, right? He doesn't do that. He doesn't kill us. But what he does do when we lack a respect or a reverence for him, he just doesn't reveal himself to us. And I think that's a worse situation. To say I'm a follower of God, but I don't even know him. You see, I, I think this is what happens is going back to the whole mesmerizing and memorizing thing. Uh, I think it's great to, to know the word of God. This is, you know, thing, love letters that he's given to us to instruct us in this life. But when we elevate Knowing the word of God compared to knowing the God of the word, 
we've run into an issue. It's not enough just to know where scripture is or what it means. And I always try to, to tell people, hey, if you don't understand the Bible, you're okay. You're not in bad company. It might take you a little more time to study something out, but that's okay. Because it's more important that you know him rather than knowing a verse out of the scripture. It's so important that we know the God of the word, not just the word of God. And that's what I'm trying to compel us to today is if you want his secrets and you want to walk in this relationship with him, it's going to take this. It's going to take reverence and it's going to take a fear of him saying, man, I, I respect you, judge of the universe, creator of all things, king of kings, Lord of lords. I show reverence to you. And in doing so, the reward is intimacy. So what is Intimacy. And again, today I'm, I'm using words like circumcision and things. I'm not trying to be graphic, but I do have to land the plane and I want to really explain something. So what is intimacy? See, intimacy, we automatically think, especially if you're married, you think of intimacy and you think sex. Right away, that's just a thought that comes in our mind when we hear the word intimacy. However, that's not intimacy. Sex is a byproduct of intimacy. You're intimate and the reward you get is awesome, right? But it's intimacy. Intimacy. So what is intimacy? I wanted a biblical verse that I could use to explain intimacy. And thank God I found one. Genesis chapter 2 verse 25. It says this, the man and his wife were both naked and they were not ashamed. And I read that and I go, that's intimacy. Because what, what's going on here is Adam and Eve are naked Okay, but not only that, I, I, I believe because it was before the fall that there was also some things of being inwardly naked. They were just open. Just saying, hey, this is, this is who I am. And it's open and here I, this is me, right? And it says they felt no shame for that, right? That, that's amazing to be able to stand there and say, you can see every thought, every motive, every action, every word, and I'm, I'm completely unashamed. Because why? Because you accept me. Be, because you love me. That's, that's intimacy, and at the same time, as much as you're saying, this is everything that I am, because nothing is hidden, you're also saying, this is everything that I'm not. I can't pretend I have a six pack if I don't have a six pack, right? It's all there. Everyone can see. It's right there. And you're saying, here I am, everything, nothing missing, nothing broken, nothing hidden. And it says, I feel no shame for that. That's intimacy. When you can be fully accepted while being fully exposed. That's Intimacy. And when I think of what I get when I reverence God, it means God reveals himself to me unhindered, unfiltered, completely giving me all access to him and the knowledge of who he is. That's the reward that I get if I show reverence for him. If I want to know him, all I do is show respect for who he is and the reward that I get is a complete understanding and knowledge of him. That, that seems too great of a reward for me. That seems like too great of a reward for a human, but why? Because we were made in his image for his purpose, relationship. He wants to show you everything about him. As much as you say, man, I want God, I want God, he wants you all the more. And he wants to pour out his spirit on us, unfiltered, unhindered, and everything visible for us to see. He wants to reveal himself to us. Let me tell you something right now. God is not hiding from you. We, we sit and we, we, sometimes we complain. Man, I just want to know God as if it's his fault. It's not his fault. Your relationship with God depends on how much you press. 
and how much you show respect and reverence. Jesus is my homeboy or Jesus is my king? Who's he gonna reveal himself to? I want to know him. I wanna be with him. And the reward that I get of knowing him is simply found in showing respect for him and in doing so he reveals his secrets to me. Isn't that what happened exactly with Abraham? Hey, I, I got this feeling, Sodom and Gomorrah, man, I need to blow it up. <laughs> Abraham's like, God, this is a hefty secret. Uh, I better not tell anybody, but God at the same time, like if there were some righteous people there, right? And God did that. God revealed secrets to someone who reverenced him. And Abraham is known as the friend of God now. Why? Because of his reverence for the king. That's how I want to live my life. I, I want to fear God in such a way that he reveals himself to me. And I have that intimacy with him. That moment where I see who he is. And the moment he sees who I am, nothing hidden, nothing broken. And in that same time, I find complete acceptance. That is intimacy. That's what we are all looking for. We are all looking to stand inwardly naked before God and say, God, here I am. Nothing, nothing hidden. You can see every motive and every thought. And I'm unashamed because you accept me. That's the intimacy that God is calling us to, which brings us to the point in Philippians chapter three, verse 10. Again, out of the Amplified, it says, for my determined purpose is that I may know him, that I may become more deeply and intimately acquainted with him, perceiving and recognizing and understanding the wonders of him more strongly and clearly, and that I may in that same way come to know the power outflowing from his resurrection, and that I may share his sufferings as to be continually transformed into his likeness, even to his death, if the worship team can join me on this platform. So what's Paul really saying? I, I, I like to break things down in a way that Stevie can understand, right? I'm dumb. And so I, what is Paul saying in Philippians 3.10? If I were to put it into simple, easy words for us to understand and walk away with this morning, he says all of this. My determined purpose is intimacy with God. And through that, any troubles that I face are well worth it. Anything that I go through is well worth it. If I could have intimacy with him. See, as I, as I look back on on my life of memories. As, as I look back to my childhood, and I remember those memories that I have of just being a kid. Now as a grown adult, a family of my own, I'm starting to look at the memories that I have of a relationship with God. You see, I started walking with God. You'll hear me say this date many times, April 1st, 2005. And I have memories now of not just my childhood, but now of my childhood in Christ. I have memories of things where God came through when I didn't see a way out. I didn't see a way through. And somehow I have a memory now of God coming through. Because you see, when I think of prayer, I don't, this, I don't think of this. I don't know if the cameras are going to get this on the live stream. But when I think of prayer, I don't think of this now. A Bible open in front of me and my knees on the ground like this. That, that's not how I think of prayer now. Because when I think of prayer, I have a memory of prayer. Of a moment when my daughter at five years old comes in the kitchen and she knew I was in pain and she put her hands on me and a miracle took place right there in my very kitchen as a little girl at five years old had childlike faith that God could do something. So now when I think of prayer, I think of that memory. I think of that moment that I have with God now. And when I think of other things, I'm gonna say the state of Illinois. To you, sounds like maybe just another state. Maybe you think of Chicago, the Windy City. I don't know what you think of. But to me, when I think of Illinois, I think of a little girl 
who was 18 years old, who was born a paraplegic. And we went over and we prayed with her and she got up and she walked across the gymnasium floor that day. See, it's, it's memories. It's memories that have been fostered through a relationship with Jesus. And I'm not here to brag about memories that I have now with God, but I am here to proclaim how great he is. Because when I think of stress, I think of his peace. When I think of my finances, I think of his provision. And I see how he's come through again and again and again for me. When I think of my issues and the difficulties that I have going on, I'm reminded now of his wisdom and how when I don't know and when I don't see a way, he knows and he has the way. See, it's memories now of a life with Christ. And what I'm asking as I've been personal, I'm asking you to be personal now too. What memories do you have with God? What memories stir up when you think of prayer, when you think of reading the word, when you think of his presence? What memories stir up? And this is not to condemn you, but this is to bring some inspiration to say, you know what? I think I need some more memories with him. I think I need a few more moments with him to stir up and bring about some memories so that next time I go through a hard time, I'm reminded of who he is. See, I'm living my life now and I'm far, far, far from perfect. Ask my wife. But one thing I will do is I will never thank you for the the, the approval there, Kristen. One thing, I will never walk away from God now because he's brought me way too far. I have memories now with him. Yes, I have my childhood memories, but now I have memories of a life lived with Jesus. And we're going to sing this song in just a minute and pastor's is going to close this out, but it has this phrase, show me your glory. Show me your glory. And I think that should be the cry of our hearts. My determined purpose is to know him. For intimacy with him, I've God, show me your glory this morning. Show me who you are. I need and I want to know you. And this song comes from a verse in the Bible where Moses has an encounter with God. It's in Exodus chapter 33 and 34. He says, God, I pray, show me your glory. It's probably one of my favorite portions of scripture. God, why do I cry every time? I can't stand it. It's one of my favorite portions. I know I say that every time I preach, but this really is. I promise. Next time I preach, it'll be a different portion, but it's okay. But, But Moses says, God, I pray, show me your glory. I think I'm feeding back. Show me your glory. And God responds with, my face you can't see, but there's a place by me on this rock. And I'm going to hide you in the cleft of the rock. And I'm going to walk by you. And after I walk by you, I'll proclaim the name of the Lord. And I will walk by you and you will see my goodness pass before you. It's the Old Testament. They were stuck in a position. But in the New Testament, we have a rock. We have the rock of ages. And when when Moses was told, I'm going to hide you in this rock, what he was saying was, I'm showing you what it's going to be like. Because you can't see me now, but a time is coming where you still won't be enough. But someone came who is, and I'm going to hide you in this rock. And this rock is Jesus. And when I walk by you, I'm going to reveal my glory and my goodness to you as you sit in the cleft of the rock. We now, as Christians, as believers, sit in the cleft of the rock. We have full access to him and to his presence. And he's giving us an open invitation saying, would you accept to come be my friend? We have a rock that we sit on that is sure and steadfast and unmovable. And it gives us complete access when we show a reverence and a respect to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And he reveals 
himself to us. Maybe for you today, that invitation looks a little different. See, some of us in this room, we've been on this journey. But maybe you're in this room today and you haven't been on this journey yet. But you want to be. Here's what I'm gonna ask us to do. Would everyone across this room bow your head and close your eyes? You're in here today and you say, you know what, or you're watching online. You say, I've never committed my life to Jesus. But right now, I feel the invitation, I feel the tug to give my heart to him. If you're in this room, you're watching online, would you please just do me a favor and raise your hand? Look all around this room. Anybody? That's awesome. I'll give it one more second, one more ask. Anybody in this room and you want to take that first step on this invitation? Thank you for that hand. So glad I waited. Thank you, Lord. Here's what we're going to do as a church family. I'm going to ask you to repeat this prayer after me. And then the song and Pastor Shan will close us out. Can everyone just repeat this? Say, Father in heaven, I repent of my sins. I ask you to forgive me. I'm giving my life to you, Jesus. You're the Lord and King of my life. Father, I welcome your presence into my life. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, I'm going to live my life for you. My heart and life is yours. In Jesus' name, amen. Can we celebrate with that one who raised their hand today? Best decision you'll ever make. And so now, I want to close by singing this song, Show Me Your Glory. I want us to sing. I want you guys, would you stand with me? I want us to press in, show reverence for a king, and let him reveal himself to you in a greater way right now in this moment.